Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. God have mercy, it's 10.03 a.m. I'm really late for various reasons. It doesn't really matter. It's the 17th of November, 2020. This is episode 323 of Bitcoin and Thunder Games. Oh yeah, Thunder Games. That is at T-H-N-D-R-G-A-M-E-S. Now these guys have been kind of flying under the radar a little bit too much. I'm hoping to have one of the guys from Thunder Games on the show to talk about, you know, Thunder Games. But um, I had uh, forgot to talk about this yesterday, in fact. Uh, It was in my stack, and somehow it just didn't happen. I don't know why, but whatever. Uh, Thunder Games tweeted out, when was this? Oh, let's see. This was going to be November the 15th. So it was like Sunday. Good God, at 4.31 a.m. Thunder Games says, oh my God, just woke up to an email from Apple. Turbo84 is now live on the App Store with Bitcoin Sat stacking. Yes, that's right. So Thunder Games uh, is a game, like, you know, a little game studio, and they have, uh, an iOS game called Turbo 84. It's a little racing game. And I immediately downloaded it and started playing around with it. And it's, it's kind of hard. It's a little hard to, you know, get to the, especially to get to the point where you can scoop up some sats, which they do lay down for you every once in a while. And then there's, I think what I, what happened to me is uh I got I was playing around with it and saw that they got a little spin wheel much like I think it's god I I hope I don't get this wrong if I do don't don't kill me uh I think it's fold app has uh a little spinner that you can win sats on every you know you spin it every day and sometimes you get sats sometimes you get other stuff um but this one I ended up spinning it and I mean I only got 10 sats but one of these days especially considering today, that could be worth 10 bucks. I'm looking for sat dollar parity. That's what I'm looking for. Anyway, so I win 10 sats, right? Well, uh, I'm like, okay, so what do I do next? And then all of a sudden, a little button pops up that says collect. I go, okay. So I hit the little collect button and lo and behold, it actually takes me to make sure I got this right. It opens up my blue wallet, which I have on my phone, automatically. Didn't ask me, just just said, oh, blue wallet here, and it just pops it open. Didn't have to do any extra step. And then I the invoice gets into the into the uh into the place, and all of a sudden 10 sats go to my blue wallet. Now all this happened. I spun, got the prize, 
and then collected the prize and had it in my blue wallet within 15 seconds with like three taps of a button. I mean, the user experience on this is really, really great. The one thing that's kind of odd about this game is that it seems slow. Like the car, it seems like the car's moving slow at first. And I, I think it probably you need to like play it more and more and more and more for it to speed up. <clears throat> but even when it's going like five miles an hour, this son of a bitch is hard. It's a hard game. So, you know, forgive me, but I'm probably going to get my son and daughter hooked on it so they can farm me some Satoshis in clear violation of all United States labor, child labor laws. <laughs> now, speaking of law, we have a lawmaker. Her name is Cynthia Loomis. She just got elected as a United States Senate seat for Wyoming. Uh, yeah, everybody's favorite state right now seems to be Wyoming. Why? Well... <laughs> Because they're doing lots of stuff over in Wyoming. I mean, you got Kraken being chartered as a bank in Wyoming for crypto. And then you've got uh, Caitlin Long's bank. I can't remember the name of it offhand. Uh, they got the second charter to be able to custody uh, customer funds in crypto. There's a lot of companies that are moving out there. Um, but this one is a tweet from Cynthia Loomis who says, is she's making a reply to a couple of people. But the first one here is uh, a tweet from Matt Kaufman that says, Today, in one day, our law firm had inquiries for corporate redomestications for eight companies wanting to move from California to Wyoming. Eight in one day is a new record. And then he tagged Cynthia Loomis. So Cynthia Loomis, yeah, Cynthia Loomis replies, says, Wyoming welcomes full nodes and financial sovereignty for individuals and businesses alike. Wyoming is freaking crushing it. And I'm not sure why it is that we down here in Texas just don't seem to get it as far as legislature is concerned and people who are actually trying to drive forward this stuff. But I got to hand it to Wyoming. At this point, Wyoming is the only other state that I would consider leaving my beloved Texas for. I will probably never leave Texas. I just, I, I love this state even though sometimes it, it screws up, but, you know, whatever. Now, speaking of screwing up, famous people getting hopping on Twitter and inserting themselves into Bitcoin Twitter simply by using the term Bitcoin. Now, you're going to think I'm talking about homegirl right now, but I'm not. This is Michael J. Burry. At Michael J. Burry, B-U-R-R-Y, uh, had the following to say uh, yesterday at 3.16 p.m. He says, I have nothing intelligent to say about Bitcoin. Okay. Well, he got dragged down the rabbit hole. I mean, man, people came out of the woodwork. Why? Do you know who Michael J. Burry is? If the name is not familiar to you, you might want to watch the big short of three or four times. Michael J. Burry is the guy in the big short, and it was, this was also real life, by the way. I mean, the Michael J. Burry actually exists, and he actually did all the following things. A, he thought there was something funny going on. I think around 2005 to 2006, he started seeing, he just started getting this feeling in his gut that maybe housing in the United States and possibly even Western Europe was getting a little overpriced. And he started noticing lots and lots of loans were getting, you know, home loans were getting uh, 
oh, accepted more and more, and they started be, to become bundled. So what does Michael J. Burry do? Remember, if you don't know, this guy is a medical doctor turned investor. He also is slightly, if not more on the spectrum of autistic in the classic sense of autism. I'm not talking about the autist on Twitter. I'm talking about actual full-blown freaking, you know, autism. And these guys, these autistic guys have this tendency sometimes it, 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 sometimes autism will present itself as a way that people can look at a shit ton of numbers and see patterns. Well, Michael J. Burry happens to be that guy. So he actually looked at what was bundled into the, the housing loans, like individual loans. And everybody thought he was crazy. They're like, nobody looks at this shit. Nobody, not lawyers, not CPAs. They just look at the top sheet of the bundle and say, I'm going to certify it or whatever it is that these guys do, right? Now, Michael actually cracks open the data, looks at it and says, this is going to implode. And he starts short, he figures out a way to design an instrument or, or get a bank to design him an instrument, CDO, to bet against all this shit. And he shorted the living crap out of it. He sat on that crap for two years by himself, hodling a bet that housing was going to implode. Now, he was right all the time, and we know that. But during the time that he was saying it, nobody was listening to him. And everybody thought he was not only insane, but damn, downright freaking psychotic, right? He had investors wanting to pull all the money out of his, the hedge fund that he had started. His major investor that basically backed his play in starting a hedge fund because he had done so well earlier on, he wanted out. Everybody wanted out. Michael sat there like a hodler, except we have a support group in Bitcoin. When we hodl, we have other people saying, hodl, you want to hod you don't want to sell, you don't want to bail. This guy had no one. Michael J. Burry was all by himself with this one singular idea that everybody was betting against. They were all betting against him because he was betting against the housing market and the housing market had never done anything but go up in the United States in the history of housing. He sat there and he hodled for two years and he was right. Now the man is worth somewhere north of 200 to $250 million. Just saying, Next time some crazy asshole tells you to hodl, you, you might want to listen to him. I'm just saying now that now here it is. Arya from Game of Thrones also decided that she was going to sniff around the rim of the Bitcoin Twitter rabbit hole and got sucked in. I mean, and quick. Ooh, damn. We're just going to go ahead and read the story from CryptoNews.com. This is Tim Alper. He's writing that or this, this morning, Bitcoin camp losing the nail-biting game launched by GOT Arya actress. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I know. Don't throw me out the window just yet. Missing Game of Thrones yet? Why, yes, I am. If you are still having withdrawal symptoms following the last episode of the hit show back in May last year, you may be cheered to read that a brand new crypto theme Game of Thrones appears to have broken out on Twitter. Sparked by none other than Arya Stark herself, or rather, Maisie Williams, the actress who played the character. Yes, it's time to break out of that tired and tested blend of likely bored celebrities. 
Twitter and crypto again with Williams, the latest to foray into the bear pit of crypto-themed social media. Oh, God. Oh. Williams took to Twitter to post a poll asking her 2.7 million followers, should I go long on Bitcoin? You can imagine what happens next. At the time of writing the number of votes, which is not equal to the number of voters, I don't know what that means, is over 832,000 with those advising no currently in the lead. Initially, the yes camp was leading the game, but there are still eight hours left to vote before the poll closes, meaning that Williams must wait until evening falls to discover the answer to her question. Tonight may be dark and full of terrors. In either case, as anyone who spent any time on Twitter could have foretold, a question like this is as incendiary as a cellular, or sorry, a cellar full of wildfire. (laughs) So, as regular as clockwork, out came the usual suspects breaking through into the thread like white walkers in race through a gaping hole in the wall. Naysayers were out in there in droves, slamming BTC as a scam, warning that any money invested in the token would be wasted forever. One might as well throw one's gold out of the moon door was the consensus among these folk. And of course, there were almost equal amounts of fervent Bitcoin supporters full of zeal and bullying BTC sentiments, chiming in with hauler devotees like claims that BTC was the best form of money and store of value our world has ever seen. And to spice things up a bit, there were also armies of altcoin, war- altcoin warriors ready to breathe dragon fire onto anyone suggesting that BTC or any other token uh, one may, may name could hold a candle to their own token of shit. I mean, of choice. Of course, some saw this as an ideal opportunity to break out some PR-friendly GOT-themed puns, including digital currency group founder Barry Silbert. Oh, God, Barry, don't simp. The group owns... Grayscale, which also happens to sound similar to the name of the debilitating terminal illness in the GOT universe, Grayscale. Mm -hmm. And that's where that particular story ends. However, it should be noted that, uh, oh, what's his name? Old Elon Musk decided to foray into this little dumpster fire and says something about, I don't know, a Bitcoin to the, I don't know, to Her Majesty or something. I can't remember what he said. I can't believe they didn't put it in here, though. In either event, um, oh no, here it is. Toss a Bitcoin to your witcher. So yeah, they did actually put the tweet in here. Well, she came back and said, how's Blue Origin going? Oh man, she just trolled the Musk man. I mean, hardcore trolled him. Why? Because Blue Origin is uh, Jeff Bezos's space company, not Elon Musk. Of course she knew that. At least she's got a good sense of humor and God knows she's going to need it because one of the other people that I don't, th- I don't know if he forayed into her twi- Twitter stream, but I saw him say something. Yes. Andreas Antonopoulos had to weigh in with that widow's peak of his about how stupid we all were. So what does he say? Well, I'm, I don't have the tweet up in front of me, but basically he said, Oh my Maisie has wandered into the path of Bitcoiners here it comes, or, or something like that, something derogatory about Bitcoiners in general. Now, there's one or two choices to go here. Do you respond to the woman's tweet if she says she, she's asking just this? I mean, all it is is a question in a poll. Should I go long Bitcoin? Well, what are we supposed to do? Not say anything? Completely shun her ass? Well, that's dumb. That's, that would be just as dumb as it is everybody piling on. There's not gonna, but there's not gonna be some kind of happy medium. 
it's going to be one or the other, although it's more going to be people piling on than not saying anything. But I'm trying to figure out what the hell Andreas wants us to do. Not say anything? Should we shill her Ethereum like he does now? Is that what we should do, Andreas? I mean, he'll never answer me because the dude has already blocked me since opening up all of his... He deleted all of his blocks some time back, and I never talked to him again or responded to any of his tweets, and yet somehow I some I pissed him off, I guess. I don't know how. And he's blocked me again, but I think that that... The, the, I, I think what's more stupid here is Andreas coming in and shitting on his reputation even more by haranguing, you know, Bitcoiners because they're actually responding to a tweet from this person who says, should I long Bitcoin? That dude is going down fast, in my opinion. I used to really like him, but now at this point, it's just kind of cringe watching him do things like this. Anyway, now, cringe. Talking to, Want to talk about some cringe? Origin Protocol is emptied of $7 million in yet another flash loan attack. Crypto Briefings, Chris William, tell us about it. Origin Protocol has suffered a major exploit, leading to a loss of around $7 million. The protocol was attacked using a flash loan and manipulation of the protocol's rebase system. Origin Protocol has been drained of $7 million. The incident occurred late last night as part of a sophisticated attack involving a 70000 Ethereum flash loan. Origin's co-founder Matthew Liu took to Twitter to ball, I mean to share details of the attack, urging users to avoid buying or minting OUSD. OUSD is Origin's native token. It is a stablecoin roughly pegged to the US dollar, and it's designed to provide yield to its holders. The yield farmers. We'll get into more of that shit later. But following last night's attack, the token's value plummeted 85% to 14 cents. The sudden price drop has left anyone with significant OUSD holdings facing substantial losses. You were warned. We keep warning you. Origin Protocol has posted an initial synopsis of the incident. After borrowing borrowing over $32 million worth of Ethereum, the attacker took advantage of a re-entrancy bug in Origin's contract. They successfully executed a rebase event to increase the supply of OUSD before swapping their takings on Uniswap and SushiSwap. A rebase event is essentially a process in which an asset's reserves are increased. It's an innovation that's been embraced in DeFi recently, Though not always with positive results, you can say that shit again. In August, Yam Finance memorably suffered a catastrophe, partly as a result of its rebasing mechanism. No, it didn't suffer a catastrophe. It literally committed suicide, but I won't get into that. The attacker's steps can be followed on Etherscan, and then they give a link. The Origin team has stated that it will be investigating the incident in the coming days, probably from beach chairs somewhere on a beach sipping pina coladas. They have also confirmed their plans to recover the funds and compensate affected OUSD holders. No, that money is gone. You're fooling yourself. A statement on Origins Medium blog reads as follows. We will be taking exhaustive measures in the next few days in an attempt to recover lost user funds before discussing a compensation plan for affected OUSD holders. As a reminder, please do not buy OUSD on Uniswap or SushiSwap as the current prices do not reflect OUSD's underlying assets, In quote. Origin has also sent thanks to the wider DeFi community 
for their help in dealing with the fallout from the incident as well as a plea to the attacker. We humbly ask you to consider the hundreds of innocent people you were hurting in return defense, they said. Wow, this is just sick, dude. Since the attack, several users have sent on-chain messages to the perpetrator asking them to return some of the takings. One message read, hi, great job on your successful flash loan arbitrage. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, that may not be too far outside of the boundaries. This is a long shot, but I lost $1,000 due to it, and I figure no harm in asking if you could please send me some some of the money to reduce my loss. Uh, would mean a lot to me and my student loans, although you're under no obligation to do so. Thank you. God. The victim's message is available to view on Etherscan. The attacker's address also shows that they have converted some funds into REN BTC over the last few hours. They also moved hundreds of Ethereum through Tornado.cash, a tool that helps users preserve anonymity on the Ethereum network. Of course, Origins Attacker isn't the only DeFi expert to successfully execute a flash loan and end up making off with millions. Last night's incident is only the latest example in a string of large-scale attacks following recent exploits of Harvest, Cheese Bank, Acropolis, and Value DeFi. You were warned. We continue to warn you, but you will not listen. I do not understand why you don't listen. What What is it about this DeFi shit that makes you shelve your common sense. Please stop. But no, you know why? They're they're just never going to stop. And because Uniswap users are rushing back to SushiSwap after Uni Rewards ends. Navish Ritzji is writing this for Crypto.com sometime early this morning. Uniswap's liquidity plummets after an end to uni rewards for liquidity miners. SushiSwap is eating from Uniswap's lunch once again. Liquidity providers from Uniswap jumped ship after uni liquidity mining rewards ended and are moving to SushiSwap for sushi rewards. (sighs) Since the launch of uni liquidity mining, four pairs on Uniswap, DAI ETH, USDT ETH, USDC ETH, and wrapped BTC ETH, had two income sources, the fees from the AMM desk and uni token rewards. These uni incentives have just ended and the liquidity providers are now exiting the platform in mass. In mass, that's E-N-M-A-S-S-E, in mass. Uniswap's liquidity has since declined from $3.2 billion to $1.82 billion, which is a 40% drop in a week. Ha <laughs> ha! SushiSwap's governance was quick to grab the opportunity, announcing liquidity mining rewards uh, for the same four pools on November the 16th, one day, one day before Uniswap's expiry. The total liquidity on SushiSwap, uh, let's see here, uh, good Lord, Uh, the total liquidity on SushiSwap has surged over $250 million in the last two days. It's reminiscent of the SushiSwap vampire attack earlier this year, which prompted Uni's launch in the first place. While Uniswap's community deliberates on the future distribution of Uni tokens, two developers have proposed continued liquidity mining on the previous pools for an additional two months to, quote, maintain the status quo. The preliminary vote on the proposal is split, 53% in favor and 46% against. Shows you the stupidity. Dude, you know, you know what? 
God. It's a Ruski conspiracy to fuck up the American economy. Now, now that I've triggered everybody, the reason that I cover this, I know you don't want to hear it. It's just more proof of why we are correct. DeFi is a scam. Ethereum is a scam platform. I don't know if Vitalik actually structured it as a scam, but I know one thing. He fully knows that the only thing that has a use case on his platform are scams. And if you, if you endeavor, if you're new to this show and you endeavor to wade outside of Bitcoin, the chances of you getting burned are a hell of a lot better than if you just, dude, this is why I Bitcoin. This is also why I Bitcoin. Multi-billion dollar fund, Skybridge Capital might soon buy some Bitcoin. Nick Chong, tell us about it from the BTC Times. He's writing this one today. Skybridge Capital, an alternative assets investment fund run by former Goldman Sachs banker, and previously White House official Anthony Scaramucci just revealed its intention to invest in Bitcoin. As first spotted by technology analyst Kevin Rook, the firm submitted a series of filings to the Securities and Exchange Commission starting November the 13th, which revealed that Skybridge Capital's funds may seek exposure to digital assets. In a pursuant filing, it elaborated that it may hold long and short positions in digital assets. Continuing on, the filing describes digital assets to have no intrinsic value other than the method of exchange. (laughs) Well, for anything other than Bitcoin. And highlights that the Bitcoin price and that of other digital assets are not expected to be connected or correlated to traditional economic or market forces. And the value of the investments of investment funds in digital assets could decline rapidly, including to zero. Skybridge Capital also noted that it may invest in equity of companies that are involved in Bitcoin and digital assets. Rook indicates that the Skybridge Capital holds $3.6 billion in assets. The firm's November 13th filing, however, states that it held $6.9 billion in assets under management at the end of September. Scaramucci articulated his thoughts on Bitcoin in depth in a 2019 interview with Anthony Pompliano, partner at Morgan Creek Digital and host of the Off the chain podcast. In an interview, Scaramucci said that he thinks the cryptocurrency has value as a transition mechanism. Referencing its security and pseudonymity, he added that with his fixed supply, it could be seen as a store of value. More recently, he stated that Bitcoin will rally due to the increasing influence of millennials on investment markets. I don't think that's the only reason. Our, our money's going to hell in a handbasket quicker than you can spray diesel on it and light it on fire. I would imagine that both those things are pretty pretty clear. Now, as to board this, these numbers of 3.6 and 6.9 billion dollars under assets under management, I've seen it at 9.3 billion dollars assets under management and that was actually in their own in their own paperwork. So, I don't know. It's somewhere between it's somewhere north of probably 4 billion dollars in assets under management and probably just under 9. Uh, that's what I'm. That's how I'm reading this whole thing. Anyway, so when Skybridge and people like them decide that they want to jump in the game, um, you know, it's it's just yet another signal, and we're getting signals all over the place, and we're gonna find that out when we run the numbers.
Markets are down. Also, markets are kind of meh right now. I got the S&P down almost half a point. NASDAQ is down to uh, one third of a point. The Dow Jones is down uh, two thirds of a point. The FTSE is down damn near a point. Hang Seng and uh, Nikkei is doing pretty well. Uh, Shanghai is down 0.2. Uh, and yeah, the VIX, you know, the volatility index for obvious reasons is up by 1.6%. Uh, futures, oil is down 0.7. Natural gas is down 0.3. Gold is down 0.12. Silver is down 0.8, wheat is down 0.29, and copper is down 0.85. Don't know why I read you the wheat index. This is not a farm and ranch show, but whatever. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin at 17,346 and 87 cents. Holy shit. Is that my high? That is my high. My low is going to be over at HitBTC, $17,286.96. 350,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is damn near 14,500 transactions every hour on the hour. 3.18 million BTC being sent in that period. That is, for the naysayers out there, $55.3 billion with a B, which is 17% of the market cap total of Bitcoin was in motion. Think about that. Almost 20% of people that say, oh, it's illiquid. No, 20% was in liquid form when it was being passed hand to hand in the last 24 hours. My God, get it through your head, people. It's money. 132,900 BTC are being sent on average every hour and 9.21 BTC is the average transaction value while the median transaction value is 0.036 BTC and that's about 630 bucks. Block times are still seriously low, 8 minutes and 53 seconds. We have 0.5 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 100. We're at 91.73 BTC being taken in fees on the 24-hour period. We've had a 10% or got a 10.5% increase in hash rate. We are now back Hovering around all-time highs, 140.453 exahashes per second. Ethereum, Litecoin, Bcash, BSV, Ethereum Classic, nah. Although I will, notable note, Litecoin, 72.5. Why? What the hell's going on? What Is anybody using Litecoin? Doge, though, is at 0.029. And 39,680 transactions of the last 24 hours puts it ahead of Ethereum Classic. It puts it ahead of uh, definitely Bcash, but it's trailing behind Litecoin. And Litecoin apparently flipped Bcash with its market cap. Huh, that's, that's interesting. Wow, that's really interesting. So the market cap of Bcash is 4.7 billion. That, yeah, 4.7 billion. And Litecoin has flipped it and has become 4.8 billion. Oh, okay. Well, shit coins can battle it out. Clark, tell us all about it. He's got a price of 17450 Really? Holy shit. Uh, 18546019.15 BTC are in circulation at the current time. There are only 10 blocks to clear, and it will take 16,894 transactions along with it. 
There are 1,046.8 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $18.3 million of liquidity spread across 7,685 nodes with 35,724 channels. We've had a drop in percentage of Tor capacity of Lightning. We are down to 51.1%, although that still represents the majority of the Lightning Network as being run over the privacy network Tor. That's 535.02 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's running over 2,573 nodes. That's gonna end up doing it for vitals. Part two of the morning roundup. Can I get a yeehaw? Chinese Bitcoin miners cannot pay power companies as government reportedly freezes bank cards. <laughs> FUD, China FUD, but it's not like we haven't seen it before and we're always going to see China FUD. Is it true? I don't know. Let's find out what Anthonia Isichi has to say. God, that's a hell of a name. Isichi has to say about it from CryptoPotato.com. This was written yesterday. The ongoing assault on money laundering in the Chinese telecoms and crypto industry has seen Bitcoin miners facing difficulties in paying electricity bills as banks freeze cards associated with cryptocurrency transactions. According to the local news outlet, in a tweet thread on November the 16th, 2020, Chinese miners were reportedly experiencing difficulties in paying electricity bills. The outlet was able to survey 74% of Bitcoin miners in China who revealed that they faced such problems. The difficulty in paying electricity bills was a result of the card freeze wave experienced in China. At the beginning of 2020, the government of China took a more drastic approach toward combating money laundering and illegal activities. That's not what it's about. Specifically targeting the cryptocurrency and finance industries. That's what it's about. Specifically, it's more about the finance industries than anything else. They want to choke the life out of money. They hate anybody having any kind of power except them. That's not just China. That's Canada. That's Mexico. That's Venezuela, Argentina. That's Japan. Well, actually, Japan seems to be a little bit more cool about it. But Australia, Italy, I mean, pretty much pick any EU member country, and they hate people having money. That's what all this shit is for. AML, KYC is not about child pornography. It's not about uh, human trafficking. It's not about anti-money laundering. It's not about uh, terrorist financing. That's all bullshit. If you believe any part of that, I got bridges all over the place to sell you because you're just too naive to understand that it has nothing to do with that shit. They have been against citizenry having any power whatsoever. And the best way to take away somebody's power is take away their ability to communicate value with each other. You do that and you effectively, you effectively bend the citizenry over the table and do whatever you want with them because they have no power at all. Okay, so this has nothing to do with AML or KYC bullshit and nothing ever does. Please stop allowing people to tell you that's what's going on. That is not what's going on. 
Okay, whereas other Chinese crypto participants can keep their holdings in stablecoins in lieu of the yuan, miners need access to RMB for bill payments and other operational expenditures. I, I think that's pronounced the remimbi. This lack of access to fiat is yet another impediment for Bitcoin miners in the country in addition to other problems like seasonal flooding, supply shortages due to COVID-19, among others. Following the May 2020 halving, the block reward became 6.25 BTC, which is a 50% decrease from the subsidies earned over the last four years. With the reduced earnings per block, mining operations are reportedly pursuing greater efficiency to offset the decreased revenue. While China is still the leading country in terms of global Bitcoin hash rate, the latest development coming out of the country could see local miners migrating to more favorable regions. According to data from Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index, the CBECI, China leads the BTC mining sector with 65.08%, with the United States and Russia in second and third place respectively at 7.24 and 6.90%. As reported by Crypto Potato back in June, the US BTC hash rate to 78.33% between September 2019 and April of 2020. Meanwhile, China has experienced a decline within that same period. While Chinese miners are having difficulty paying electricity bills, Russia might legalize BTC mining. Back in September, Reports emerged that Russia was, or that sorry, reports emerged that Russia's Ministry of Finance was considering authorizing Bitcoin mining in the country. So, yeah, let's uh, let's all uh, pour one out for the possibility of Chinese miners, um, you know, getting hosed. I, I don't know. I mean, I, you can go back and forth on the Chinese miners and and having, you know, too much hash power. Uh, it could go either way. I mean, like, I just don't, I just don't see the Chinese miners automatically one day saying, "Let's screw Bitcoin over," because that's their bread and butter. And they got way, they got too much invested. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about these people's time. And they, they poured their time and their life into this shit. Now, the one thing that does worry me is, you know, the Chinese Communist government coming to these said miners and forcing them to do shit you know, at the point of a gun or holding their family hostage, I don't put it past the Chinese communist government to do anything less than that. Honestly, I, 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 I seriously have no problems considering the fact that the Chinese government is so freaking evil that they would actually do that. So that does kind of disturb me. So disturbs me. So in a way, this, this signaling from China that it's just kind of, you know, not very, you know, nice to their miners their miners will leave. They will figure out a way to get their shit on a plane, a boat. They'll pack it on camels over the freaking you know, Himalayas. I don't know what they'll do, but they will get their shit and themselves and their families and they will get out. They, I mean, come on. That's just, that's what I think is going to happen because humanity will always find a way to do what humanity wants to do. Unless you're in Amsterdam or the Netherlands. Okay, here we go. Aaron Von Weirdom has put out this tweet. When did he do this one? It was, no, early this, very early this morning, God, 5.30 a.m. He says, as imposed by the Dutch Central Bank, the, which is the, their, if you just kind of wanted to know, it's at DNB underscore NL. That would be Dutch National Bank underscore Netherlands, but it's actually just the letters. 
uh, at DNB underscore NL. That's the Netherlands bank uh, people that are doing this on Twitter. Uh, Bitcoin exchanges in the Netherlands must now ask their customers to, quote, prove they really control their withdrawal address. No other European country requires this. <laughs> so he gives uh, he gives the publication that it was in, but he's got a screenshot here. And it says under the heading, and this was published by Dutch National Bank on November the 16th, 2020. And it says under the heading, additional verification measures due to registration application. And this is from Bitronic, by the way, not, not the Dutch National Bank. I'm sorry. The publication that's being referred to here is Bitronic, who's in the Netherlands. The Dutch National Bank is making them do the following, but it's Bitronic that's actually writing this shit up. And there's, well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But it says, starting today, Bitronic, under protest, added an additional verification measure regarding Bitcoin addresses. The Dutch Central Bank has effectively forced us to do so in reference to the Sanction Act. The article in which DMB published their set requirements can be found here, and that's that's a link that goes, you know, to the Dutch National Bank. So it says under the heading, what does this mean for you as a customer? It says from now on, we are required to ask additional details such as the purpose with which you intend to purchase Bitcoins and what kind of wallet you use. Furthermore, we are obligated to verify that you are the legitimate owner of the given Bitcoin address by requesting you to upload a screenshot from your wallet or by signing a message. Screenshot from your wallet. You know, if you have lots of Bitcoin. If you listen to me and you have lots of Bitcoin, I don't know what you're doing because you clearly know more about this shit than I do. Um, but if for whatever reason you're holding large amounts of Bitcoin, consider granting BISC and possibly HODL HODL, although I've seen some telegraphs that they may be going down the AML road. I'm not sure. Um, if they're not, I apologize, HODL HODL. You are still one of my favorite companies, but you know, word on the street and all that. But uh, BISC, especially that's BISQ decentralized exchange. We need now more than ever. And as fast as we can get it without scammers, thank you. We need on ramps and off ramps somehow. Actually, and I don't even really give a shit about off ramps. I think the off ramp part is going to be up to us as Bitcoiners to be able to build the companies that offer products and services that are necessary for that are not necessary for people to live, but are the things that people who are alive generally buy food. I don't know, gas, you know, lunch trucks, uh, shoes, you know, we've got, God knows we've got enough hats and t-shirts, so we don't need any more of that. But, you know, and, and I, and don't get me wrong. I like stickers. I really do. But, you know, and the, the guy, like, for instance, the guys over at Crypto Cloaks, they're producing stuff that Bitcoiners use. At one point or another, I hope that they start producing stuff that people that are not Bitcoiners use. We need very, very much so to develop and continuously develop and never stop developing a circular economy that uses Bitcoin. And then all, we don't have to worry about off-ramps. We can, or 50% of our problems go away. They go away. 
if we don't have to worry about the off-ramp. My off-ramp needs to be you, the guy or the gal who makes a company that offers, I don't know, that I can buy yarn for my wife. My wife likes to knit. She likes knitting stuff, right? So yarn, uh, needles, you know, circular needles, straight needles, bamboo needles, all the fixings that go along with that. If somebody would allow me to shoot you like a lightning payment for 40 bucks and I could buy her like Christmas stuff, that's, you are my off-ramp. But the only way that that works is that if you have an off-ramp, which means you need a supplier of yarn who takes Bitcoin. So, you know, I don't how to do it. I don't know. It seems like, you know, it seems like it'd be something like this. Like I start asking people to sell me shit that don't use Bitcoin to start using Bitcoin. And when they immediately hit that damn wall, figure out a way to do, you know, to help them do it, to be their consultant, to get it done. And when it finally works, you can then start buying shit, but then they're going to have to buy their shit to sell to you. So then it would be up to them to go to their suppliers or their vendors and say, I really want to buy, start buying stuff with Bitcoin, Lightning Network, I don't know, you know, things like that, liquid, I know, don't throw bottles at me, but you know, what I'm saying here is that as, as long as we can take the, the off-ramps and pour gasoline on them and then set them on fire, then we don't have to worry about half of the shit that we have to worry about. That's all I'm saying. Now, on to this bit or sorry, not bitronic, it's bitonic. B I T O N I C and uh let's see, let's see. Uh this is where they they publish the thing. Um let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. Uh where was I at? It's not very long. We have repeatedly pleaded with the DMB to drop this requirement as we find this measure to be ineffective and disproportionate. Unfortunately, this has had no effect. The Netherlands is currently the only country in the European Union where this far-reaching measure is demanded. So, and then they go through, you know, the fact that you're going to have to take a screenshot of your wallet, which I don't, I don't even want to get into that shit. So, complaints. We understand that these additional measures cause nuisance for our customers, and we do not agree with the measures ourselves. Therefore, we offer the opportunity to formally object to these additional measures and the registration of this data. We will soon release a custom form intended specifically for this purpose. For the time being, you are invited to send your complaints to privacy at bitonic.nl. That's privacy at bitonic.nl. L. So I, you know, it's sad to see this shit because I just, I just retweeted something from one of the lawmakers, a member of parliament, parliament in the Netherlands who seemed to be crypto friendly. That was just yesterday in the same damn day, the central bank does this shit to Bitonic and all the rest of them. I guess there's, I don't know if Bitonic is the only, in the, the only exchange, you know, cryptocurrency exchange in the Netherlands, but this very same day they announced this shit. So what the hell's going on in the Netherlands? I, we may never know. Although on to better news, $20,000 is a stepping stone to $1 trillion market cap for Bitcoin, says Bloomberg senior strategists. Again, Bloomberg, one of their senior strategists, which probably means one of, I don't know, 
300. Mandy Williams tells us about it through Crypto Potato. It has been quite a year for Bitcoin in terms of price action and adoption. After recording its biggest daily price drop to $3,600 in March due to the COVID-19 pandemic. God, it seems like a, seems like a lot longer than that. The cryptocurrency is now trading less than 25% from the all-time high of 2017. That, at this point, is, I think is more like 16% from the all-time high. Analysts are bullish and believe that Bitcoin is poised for even bigger moves, and the digital asset could reach higher highs if the current bullish trend continues. Interestingly, Bloomberg's senior strategist Mike McGlone believes that a Bitcoin market cap of $1 trillion is possible if the crypto asset reclaims the $20,000 all-time high price level. God, that only lasted for 48 hours. If that. What, what is it about this $20,000 mark that everybody thinks is some kind of freaking holy grail? It hardly lasted. It, we're talking fractions of 1% of the lifetime of BTC that this thing was even approaching $20,000. And somehow or another, it seems like that's the floor. And because we're under this floor, that it does, that nothing matters. That shit needs to stop, okay? With the asset currently trading above 16500 after a drop to 15800 over the weekend, Bitcoin's market valuation is now more than $304 billion. According to McGlone, the $20,000 price level is the primary hurdle preventing the asset from achieving a $1 trillion market cap. The Bloomberg analyst thinks the largest cryptocurrency is, quote, in an early price discovery stage and may simply continue its ascent in 2021, end quote. He describes Bitcoin as the digital version of gold, but with a more limited supply and a history of adding zeros. Yes, it, it does have a tendency to. McLone also notes that the mainstream adoption is rising for Bitcoin and that perhaps would provide the significant boost the cryptocurrency needs to break the $20,000 price hurdle. Bitcoin saw its highest adoption rate this year in its 11-year history from publicly traded companies like MicroStrategy and Square adopting it as a primary reserve asset to PayPal integrating it into its payment network, all of which have helped position Bitcoin in its current bullish trend. While McGlone believes the current bull run may continue into next year. Thomas Fitzpatrick, managing director at multinational banking giant Citibank, predicts that the trend could take Bitcoin to a price of $318,000 a coin by the end of 2021. I'm still jaw-dropped about that. him saying that. that for even me, as bullish as I am, that seems damn near irresponsible. I hope he's right. Fitzpatrick gave the bullish prediction after predict analyzing Bitcoin's historical price performances. According to him, the current bull market started in December of 2018 and BTC could reach groundbreaking price territories if the trend continues. Like many others, Fitzpatrick believes Bitcoin is the new gold. He said that the crypto assets limited supply and digital forms are two of its most distinctive features. Man, Fitzpatrick. Managing director. Okay, that's... That's not like some dude they put into a closet. Right? A managing director is one of the top guys. That's one of your, that's one of your, your whole floor of traders is under a managing director. Right? That's, that's the guy that hires all the people. That's the guy that will fire somebody. That's the dude 
that goes up to the boardroom to give the report on what's going on in an entire segment of the company. Okay, it's it's not a lackey. It's not some dude sitting in the middle of a massive room with you know who's who's got the one broken monitor and the freaking coffee stain on the carpet. That's not this guy. Thomas Fitzpatrick is the managing director of Citibank, and he's predicting $318,000 by the end of next year? I don't even know how to approach that shit. My head ain't big enough to wrap around that number. But, you know, maybe it's big enough to wrap around Mike Novogratz's head. Okay, now, let's get some context here. Galaxy Digital is Mike Novogratz's little baby, right? That's his investment thing. Well, Mike Novogratz for the last few weeks has been taking a dump all over Bitcoin. Well, what does he do? What do you think he does? Galaxy Digital gets initial approval for new Bitcoin fund in Canada. That was written this morning out of Coindesk by Daniel Palmer. Announced on Monday in a press release, the CI Galaxy Bitcoin fund is a collaboration with CI. It's either CI or CL. I don't know. That we need to figure out something about the L's and the and the I's, but I'm I'm going with CL. Galaxy Bitcoin Fund is a collaboration with CL Global Asset Management and has had a preliminary prospectus approved by securities regulators for an initial public offering, the firms have said. A closed-end investment fund, it will invest directly in Bitcoin and will be priced using the Bloomberg Galaxy Bitcoin Index. The firm's aim to bring fund investors access to Bitcoin via an institutional quality platform. Galaxy Digital will be the sub-advisor for the fund and carry out all Bitcoin trading, while CL Global will act as the vehicle's manager. Last week, Galaxy disclosed it had bought in net income of four, it had, oh, sorry, brought in net income of 400, no, $44.3 million in quarter three of 2020, having made a $68.2 million loss in the same period last year. The firm put it down to the rallying Bitcoin market. At the same time, it also acquired two digital asset firms, hoping to set itself up as the go-to firm for institutional investors. So all these dudes that are shitting on Bitcoin right now are probably loading up their bags. And when they haven't, they have right now, at this moment in time, they have the ability to open their mouth and say things and swing markets. Now, they can do that shit with gold. They can do it with a particular stock. So when they do it with Bitcoin and like, you know, Noriel Rubini comes swinging out saying, manipulation, manipulation, like it ain't done in every freaking market because for some reason, the masses of humanity will look to one person and just beg them to open their mouth and say shit so that they know what to do with their lives. That's so wrong. I don't even know what to do with it. But just remember, this guy, Mike Novogratz, not to be trusted. He is not your friend. While this is bullish news for Bitcoin, you've got to remember Mike Novogratz has been taking giant dumps on Bitcoin for the last few weeks. Loading up his bags, so that he can get a huge price bump when Mike Novogratz finally says Bitcoin. All right. So just, you know, don't trust him. All right. I don't trust him. Why do you? Prejudicial Bitcoin messages won't be heard in. <laughs> uh, 
Craig Wright lawsuit. Oh, good Lord. I'm allergic to the circus. I, I, I can't help it. I'm, you know, I mean, I get stupidity put in front of me and I have a tendency to have bad reaction to it. Scott Cipollina going to tell us about it from decrypt.co written this morning. He says, Craig Wright has had a motion to prevent Andreas Antonopoulos, a well-known Bitcoin author from reading out the content of 145 messages signed by blockchain addresses that claim Wright committed fraud. <laughs> Quote, Craig Stephen Wright is a liar and a fraud. He doesn't have the keys used to sign this message. End quote, they read, ending with, on the note, we are all Satoshi. The messages in question were signed by blockchain addresses that Wright claimed to own. This implies that Wright doesn't hold the keys to those addresses. However, the court ruled that these specific messages are too prejudicial to be heard by the jury. Oh, because they're little babies and can't think for themselves, apparently. Quote, regarding the May 4th, 19th, Sorry, the May 4th, 2019 Bitcoin message. However, the court agrees with the defendant that the message itself is a backdoor attempt to attack defendant's character for truthfulness. He has been truthful with this court since day one. Why do they give a shit? The decision comes as Wright and the Kleeman family try to stop each other's experts from speaking during trial. This is the latest stage in the billion-dollar lawsuit brought by the family of the late Dave Kleeman against Wright. The Kleeman family accused him of allegedly misappropriating billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin through a partnership with the late Dave Kleeman. Wright denies those claims. The Kleeman family is trying to have four experts speaking for Craig Wright struck off of the trial on the basis that their opinions contradict the evidence Wright himself has previously produced in this trial. On the other hand, Wright is trying to exclude the opinions of five experts speaking on behalf of the Kleeman family, including Andreas Antonopoulos, author of Mastering Bitcoin. This is standard procedure for a trial, and both camps have managed to limit in some ways what the other side's witnesses can or can't discuss. Wright has also strictly or slightly restricted Antonopoulos's Antonopoulos's testimony about pseudonymous Bitcoin inventor Satoshi Nakamoto's public communications. The court has, in part, granted Wright's motion on this point insofar as Antonopoulos's testimony must be provided in the context of an opinion. Quote, while Mr. Antonopoulos is permitted to testify about Satoshi's public communications and the emails historically associated with Satoshi Nakamoto, an actual opinion must be connected to such testimony, the court document said. However, Wright came up short with a third and final attempt to restrict the influence of Antonopoulos's, sorry, the influence of Antonopoulos on the trial. The court disagreed with Wright that Antonopoulos is unqualified to testify about Bitcoin's price or of Bitcoin forks. So the circus continues. It just seems to never, ever end. That's going to do it for the morning roundup, which is going to be brought to you probably in your afternoon. Hey, shit happens. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by some guy named Steve. In response to an Anthony Pompliano tweet, and Ant, you know, Anthony was saying, Bitcoin bulls are in total control at this point. Steve Cheney came back to tell us that Bitcoin will go to almost zero next year.
you know what I really like about Steve Cheney here is the fact that he's got 13,000 followers and he's a moral capitalist who's solving proof of health. He's the co-founder of Estimote, the world's premier contact tracing system for companies. He's a freaking spook. He's a spook. And he's out there bashing Bitcoin. He knows nothing about it. He says something about proof of health, so I can only assume that he's using his own blockchain technology. I just don't have the time to look into it. But dude, small, as smoldering piles go, there's a, a pretty steamy pile right there there now now no 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 let's go ahead and just let's just go ahead and do dad says jokes i asked the librarian if the library had any books about paranoia she whispered they're right behind you paranoia may be a good healthy attitude for all of us at this point paranoia about getting your shit off of exchanges all your btc including mine that need to be in hardware wallets or in, you know, I don't know, somewhere other than an exchange. Because one of the things that can happen, it's never happened to me yet, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen, is that you may have a very small amount of BTC that actually is worth quite a bit of money in dollar terms. But in terms of Satoshis, it would may cost you more Satoshis to get your shit off of an exchange than its actual value in USD, which I know sounds confusing, but that's the way it is. So um, also, when you think about if you have like a, a, a large amount of BTC on something like, I don't know, Fold or not Fold, uh, Cash App or something like that, um, or Swan, yeah, Swan Bitcoin, uh, River Financial is another place that you can uh, buy this stuff from. Um, if you've got, if you're holding large bank on those things, Keep in mind how much you have versus what the daily or weekly withdrawal limit is and act accordingly. For instance, if you have, let's say, $20,000 on Cash App, it's going to take you a long time to get that shit out. Same thing goes with Swan. They have limits on how much you can withdraw. Okay, now those limits are set probably by you know, the regulators that regulate the living snot out of everything and not just because the guys over at Swan or river don't want you to have your shit. You know, it's, it's more, I think it's more about the regulation aspect, but be that as it may look how much you have on the exchange or, or whatever service you're holding Bitcoin, then go do the math or rather go find how much you're able to withdraw. Okay. Do the math and figure out how long it's going to take you to get all your shit into your own custody and start doing that now. But you have to do it juxtaposed to how much it costs to do a Bitcoin transaction. Okay. Do you have like, do you have lightning channels open that's got just, you know, eh in it where it's really just going to cost you a shit ton of money just to get it out when you close the channel? Okay. Wait until the fees go down. Generally speaking, those are on the weekends, the weekends. Uh, right now is seems to be a good time to do it. As we saw, there were only 10 blocks needing to clear with, what was it, 16,000 transactions. Right now would be a good time to do it. It's not a good time to do it when you have 63 blocks waiting to clear and it's got something north of 100,000 transactions that is trying to get through, okay? So again, how much do you have? 
how much is the withdrawal limit on a daily basis, and how much is a Bitcoin transaction. Those three things will give you enough data points to do the math on how long and how much it's going to cost you to get your stuff off of the exchanges. Because what could happen is if you had $20,000 today and it's going to take you a week on monthly, like your withdrawal limits are $20,000 in a week, but you know, what would be uh, like, you know, $3,300 a day is all you can get off. And it's going to take you a week to do it. What happens if that price doubles to 40,000? Now, how long is it going to take you to get off? Because those withdrawal limits are set by US dollar denominations, not the amount of Satoshis. One of these days, maybe, but today that is not the case. Get your shit off the exchanges and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.